The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. One thing about me, if you do not know me, I am the ultra-optimist. I love the new year. I get super excited. I'm always excited about something new. Okay, I, was a, I went to University of Washington. Graduated here in 2006, uh, 12 and a half years ago. I'm the ultra-optimist about anything. Husky sports, mostly. Okay, I went down to a wedding in Southern California for New Year's Eve, and the smart play like three months ago would have been, hey, book your return flight on New Year's Day so you can get back in time to prepare for the end, which is the next day. But three months ago, I booked my flight home for this afternoon because I thought just in case the dogs make the Rose Bowl and play in the, in the college football playoffs, I want to go to it while I'm in California. So I booked my ticket for that. They did not make it. But I feel great about the future. I feel great. I just feel great about the future. Husky basketball too feels like they're on the right track. Other sports in our city. I'm confident SPU is doing great. Falcons, come on, way to represent SPU. Hey, New Year's resolutions. I was talking to a few students before going on break. Some people say the New Year's resolutions now sound a little cliche, so not all of us say that we make resolutions. I don't believe it, though. I believe that in our hearts we make resolutions. I believe you don't like to say that word, maybe, if you're, if you're or you don't want to say it because we might be afraid that we will not... Uh, carry it out, but I believe that when we hit the new year, for most of us, we go, okay, there's something new, there's something different, this is what I want to be about, maybe I'm afraid to share it, because I'm nervous about having people hold me accountable to it. But I'm curious, do people in this room have New Year's resolutions? If so, do you have a very odd New Year's resolution? Does anyone here have like, man, I have a weird New Year's resolution? Nah, it's probably not the time to share that. All right, bad question, bad question. I was doing a little research. I was thinking about this because most resolutions, we know what they are, right? We come back from the holidays and we've eaten a bunch and we've laid around doing nothing and they're all about health, right? They're all about, I want to work out more. I want to eat healthier. Uh, what I did like though is, is, is studies would show that now college students actually have very specific New Year's resolutions. You guys know this out of any, any population group, college students are not someone, are not a group of people that just has uh, super general resolutions. Um, that while other people might say, hey, I want to be healthy, college students actually, what I, what I have seen with the internet, and the internet's always right. It's a great thing about Wikipedia. Anyone can write anything about anything. So you know it's gonna be true. Okay. Well, what college students would say, number one is, is I want to get like a specific number hours of sleep. Okay. Like a lot of you guys come back and go, I want to get 7.5 hours of sleep. That is my new goal. Not just some, some general number, but that's what I want to do. A lot of people would come back and say, I want to exercise four times per week. Not just general. I want something very specific. That's number two, what people say. College students, number three resolution. I want to try something new at least one time per month or one time per week, depending on how ambitious you are. You might be a once a month person. Uh, number four, I liked this one. I want to finish all my papers at least one day before they're due. Is that realistic? Is it, is it anyone in here ever finished a paper one day before they're due? Well done. 
give it up. If you finished the paper and it was not the last day, well done. Some people said, hey, I want to volunteer at least one time per week. We come back in a new year, right, with an attitude of giving, an attitude of volunteering. I want to eat healthier at every meal. How do you eat healthier at every single meal? And, and, and number seven, I thought on the top seven was, I want to interact with students who are not already my friends. So there is a sense of coming back after break that we want to, uh, we want to meet new people. We want new friends. We want to spread ourselves out a little, little bit more from our comfort group. Um, I, I did find it interesting that, that no matter what, that New Year's seems to be this time of, hey, new year, new you, right? New you. Um, I, the new me is going to be healthy. That almost always points to health, that I want to make decisions in the new year that are not just about what I feel like doing in the moment. I want to make decisions that are going to help me in the long term, that are going to be healthy, that when I sleep more, I'm going to be healthier, even though I didn't feel like going to bed, still did, even though I didn't feel like getting my my homework done, even though I did not feel like eating healthy, because we all want to eat healthy, right? Until we sit down and there's a plate of salad in front of us. Then we don't want to eat healthy anymore. We just want to eat on the half, which is way better. Um, all about long-term health. There is this desire for all of us to be healthy in the long term, but hard to live that out in the immediate. Okay. But we come back with New Year's with excitement. We may come into this night with different places of where we're at. Some of us might be really excited. There's a new year. I get to start over. I, I'm excited to be here. Let's see what this year has for me. Some of us come back in a different place. Some of us had a disappointing break. It was not what we expected. We had more family chaos than we thought, or maybe there wasn't chaos back home for us, but maybe there just wasn't as much as we thought. Maybe we went back to a place we thought we'd have old friendships that didn't show up. Our family didn't show up for us. Maybe we come back from a place of loneliness. Maybe it's January 2nd and we already feel lonely to start this year. I want to hold these two things in tension for us. And this is what we're going to do all quarters. We're going to hold two things in tension. The excitement of something new. The excitement of what we want. For a lot of us that will come into this room is saying the excitement of what we want God to do. That maybe he's active and alive and present. He's going to do something and there's excitement. We're excited to be back and see old friends. We're excited to be at school to start this year. But, 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 but holding that intention with this fact that there's some disappointment. That this world does not look the way that we thought it was going to look. For some of us, college right now does not look the way we thought we, it was going to look. I know that sounds a little discouraging. I don't want to come out here night one and, and discourage us. But I do want to point to this, that some of us, even a lot of us that are freshmen here, we're going through something already this year. We are having an identity crisis. This fall was not what we expected it to be. We came to college going, this is going to be the best four or five or six years of my life. (laughs) For me, it was only five. Don't worry. I did not make that sixth year. And some of us it is, and there are moments that it is, and there are fantastic things about college, but there's also really hard things. For some of us, we, we, we have lost who we are. We don't know who we are. We don't know why things have been disappointing. 
This world is different than what we thought it was going to be when we came into it. And so now we're facing a little bit of an identity crisis. Who am I? Who am I? We come into this new year with some different things that we're hoping for. Some of us just want to push the reset button. Right? We just want to push that reset button. Okay, the fall was not who I was. I, that is not who I wanted to be. I made some decisions. That is not, uh, that's not me. I want to push the reset button. I just clean slate January 2nd. Let's go. Uh, for some of us, we just had some time over break to rest and think. And, and, and maybe we don't want to push the reset button. Maybe we're on a good trajectory. But this was a good chance to recalibrate and think about, okay, what do I want? What do I really want to be about this quarter? And some of us just want something different. And we don't even know what that is. For me, such a huge part of my story, this time of year always gets me a little emotional. uh, Because it was, it was New Year's Eve. It was New Year's morning, January 2004, that I woke up in a place that I did not want to be. And said, I'm not going to keep going like this. This can't, this can't be the way. There's no life in what's happening to me. And, 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 and God, if, I, if something's going to happen, I need you to show up in my life. I need to show up in a different way, in a new way. I'm excited about what that could possibly be. So I always get excited with what the new year could come for any of us. Here would be my hope in the new year. That with an excitement for kind of this new year, new you, what's going to happen with the new me this year? That we would not just be people that would be about something new always, but that we would be people that as we are deciding who who is the person that I'm going to be, and as we may be pursuing God, and for those of us that come into this room wanting to pursue God, that we may be allowing him to do something in us to make us stand firm, allow him to tell us who we are, that we may figure out who we are no matter what the environment around us might be. Some of us, we've let the environment around us shape who we are. So when things around us that are happening to us are good, we're good. We're good with God. But when things around us are not good, we're not good with God. I hope is that we would be people that would stand firm, that would learn about who we are. And as we gather here together, we are going to look at this idea this winter of what does it mean not just to try to create a new self, but what does it mean for us to be renewed by God in this new season, to allow him to make us new, to renew us from the inside out, that we may be people that enter into any environment, any circumstances, anything life throws at us, and know who we are in the midst of it. So we're going to talk about, so the series that we're going to go through this winter, uh, we are calling New Year Renewed You, and we're going to open up the book of Daniel together. Okay, we're going to walk through this book, this Old Testament book. The Bible split in this Old Testament and this New Testament, things that happened before the birth, life, and, and death of Jesus Christ, and things that happened after in the Old Testament, about 600 years before Jesus came, uh, there's this guy, Daniel. And, and the book is, is focused somewhat on him, but it's really a book focused on God. So here would be my encouragement as we open up to the first chapter to Daniel 1 tonight is, is know who the main character in this story is. The main character is not Daniel. It's really easy for us as we open up the Bible to immediately look at people, to look at characters, not, I mean, real people, but to look at Abraham, to look at Ruth, to look at Esther, to look at Daniel and say, how am I like them? How are, how are they just like me? And while there's a ton to be learned 
from people and the way they interact with God in the Bible, let's remember that the, the focus of this is who is God? What is God doing? And as he's doing a new thing in me currently, how is God still the same God that he's always been? Does that make sense? So we're going to open up every week. We're going to take a look. We're going to walk through the book, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 through Daniel. If you want to read ahead, that is totally fine. Sometimes we'll have a lot of scripture here. Sometimes it's a very little chunk of scripture. So feel free to, to sit in that chapter. Um, and, and, and my hope is that we have some fun together this quarter. We have some, some new things, some different things. Uh, we're going to, we're going to try some stuff out. Um, this quarter next week, if you come back here, we, we're going to actually have some students get baptized right here at the end, um, next Tuesday night that, that are saying, Hey, I want God uh, to do something new in, in my life. Um, and, uh, if, if that's you, if, if you're someone that, you know, we've had a number of students that have talked to me about that. Um, it, it should be a fun night as we kind of gather back with all of our schools. Um, if you've been thinking about that or, or maybe just are sh- showing up tonight and are interested in that, come talk to me. Uh, after, I'd love to even talk to you even in the next week, um, if that's something you're interested in doing. But uh, that'll be next week. We'll, we'll continue this uh, for the first half of the quarter, going through the book of Daniel um, and having some fun opening up the book together. So uh, what I want to do is I want to start in Daniel 1. Um, yeah, we'll just start reading this. This is about uh, year 600 BC, about 600 years before um, Jesus comes. It says this, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. We're going to pause right there. Okay, here's what's going on. Uh, The people of God... Okay, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, the people of Judah. This is God's chosen people. The people that in the Old Testament, God said, hey, through Abraham, I'm going to create a covenant with you. I'm going to create a relationship with this group of people that through this group of people, I will bless the whole world. You're my people. I'm going to use you to bless the world. And I promise that you guys will have this awesome land. This place to live that is, is going to be this incredible land. That's what it's called, the promised land. But in 605 BC, all the people of God went into captivity. They were captured by Babylon and now were taken as captives into Babylon, away from the land that God had promised them. Okay, I want you to picture this because this sets up our whole our, our whole quarter here, the whole idea of this book of Daniel is that a people group that God had promised that said, we're, we're trusting in God for everything in our life. We're following God and you promised us this land. This is their, their faith was so tied into the identity of their land. The location of where they were was directly tied to their relationship with God. They found God's faithfulness in knowing the land around them, that there was the temple built right in the center of their promised land. And God was found, his his presence on earth was found in this area called the Holy of Holies, the center of the temple. And when they wanted to be right with God, when there was sin in their life, when there were things that were separating them from God, they went to the temple in order to get right with God. This was a physical location. 
that was defining their relationship with God. The mountain where, where, where Moses had went up and got the 10 commandments from God and came down and, and told the people, here are gonna be the rules that we're going to live by. The mountain sat in the land. They, they wanted to hear from God that God's voice was found on this mountain, a physical presence of God. And now they're gone from there. Their whole identity, their whole relationship with God is tied into this physical presence. What happens when we know who God is, but the way that we relate to him is gone? What happens when, 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 when mentally we get God, we understand that maybe he exists, but the way that we interact with him, the feeling of being close with him, of knowing him is gone? God, I know who you are. I just don't know where you are. I, you, everything I read says you're a good God, but in my life, I'm not experiencing you as a good God. I'm not experiencing your presence. I don't have the feeling of being close to you. Things in my life are happening that I don't want to be happening. I feel lonely. I feel broken. I feel hurt. I question God. Because even though... I, I, I get, I get that God is good and he exists. I'm not understanding where God is. This is the place that these guys find themselves. So it's a hard time in their history for them to connect with God. Maybe we're sitting in a similar place. Maybe it's a hard time for us to connect with God right now. How do we live in a world where we don't always feel God's presence? We get disappointed when our expectations aren't met. For some of us, this is a tough reality. We're walking this earth and we're thinking, man, this is the promised land. God has brought me here to college, this is the promised land. Everything is wonderful. It's land of milk and honey. There's always food, there's always water. The truth is that our world that we live in is probably more like Babylon than it is like the promised land. That we find ourselves in a pretty similar place to the people of God. That maybe the leaders, the, the, the people of power in their world were not necessarily, and in fact, for them, they were not followers of Jesus. They did not know God. People believed different things around them everywhere they went. People thought different things. For a lot of us, we've walked on a college campus. We have people that think different things, that believe way different things. We have professors that believe different things than us. We have people in power in our country that, that believe different things than us. Man, this earth sometimes is way more like Babylon than it is like the promised land. How do we interact with God in a place that feels like Babylon? Feels like we're in captivity. Hmm, I wanna keep reading. We're gonna jump over to verse six. It says this. It, this is what happens, okay? After, after Nebuchadnezzar, okay, king of uh, Babylon, he captures the whole, all the people, so all God, God's people are, are, are in captivity. And he, he says, I'm going to pick a whole bunch of the best people uh, and I'm going to train them for three years under my leadership. And they're going to learn to serve uh, the kingdom. They're going to learn to serve the empire that I'm a part of. They're going to mostly become military and, and a lot of other jobs, but I'm going to train them in our style. They're going to learn our language. 
okay? They're gonna get new names. They're gonna, everything about them is going to change to be a part of our culture. And then they're gonna serve for us in battle and in other ways. And it says this, among those that were chosen by Nebuchadnezzar uh, were some from Judah, okay, the people of God, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Later, he renames them. In fact, he gives them all new names because he says, hey, I want you guys to, to be known as Babylonian people, not as Hebrew people. Uh, he changes those last three to the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if we know, though, if we grew up in the church or going to Sunday school, or we may know those names, and uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to interact with those guys a little bit more. Okay, but continuing on in verse 8, says this, but God, uh, okay, so he says, you guys are going to do new things. Okay, here in this land, you're going to eat whatever I want you to eat. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Okay, when I read this, I know what you're thinking. It's New Year's. I want to be healthy. Mike's going to tell us just eat vegetables and drink water. That's not at all what I'm going to tell you tonight. Although I was thinking, man, we're going through Daniel. Instead of like other regular snacks out here, although come back next week. We'll have tacos again next week. Well, you know, it'll be a good start. But I thought instead of healthy snacks, let's just put out a ton of vegetables, just rows of celery and water. And I want people to walk into the end and I want to see what they do. I want to see like, what is this? We took a huge step back. Jamil said we will never do that. Um, All right, that's not the message. Okay, here's the message, chapter one of the book of Daniel. How does our vertical relationship with Jesus intersect with the horizontal reality of the world we live in? If we want to thrive in a new year, we have to understand this. We have to understand how the vertical relationship, this kingdom relationship interacts with the horizontal relationships around us. This can't just stay here. What happens inside of this room can't just stay here. If this is your temple, if this is your mountain where you hear God, if you leave here and you don't know how to interact with God, if we're in a season that we don't know how to interact with him, I want us to learn how to interact with God 
in this way in the horizontal world of everything around us. That's how we learn to thrive in a new world and a new season. Here's what I'm talking about. The way I look at it, there are kind of three basic paradigms, uh, ways that we can uh, look at the intersection between our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with the world around us. Okay. The first one is, is what I call the, uh, the holy huddle mentality. Okay. This is, we go, maybe we grew up in a Christian, a Christian home or a Christian family and, and, and we want this strong relationship with God when we're in places that we are talking about God or where everyone around us are, call themselves followers of Jesus. We feel like, okay, good. I'm not tempted here at all. They're all people that are Christians like me. So I'm just going to stay with all the Christian people that think the same way I think and believe the same way I believe. And so as we go on in life, we make choices to stay with those groups of people. We may choose to go to private Christian school. We may choose to go to private Christian college. This is not a knock on SPU. Okay. I actually really like SPU. Um, but some of us choose, some of us, there are different types of SPU students in this room, some that go to SPU because it's a Christian school and I don't want anything to do with the world around me. I just want to stay in this Christian circle. And some of us go, hey, I'm excited to, to learn more about what God is doing through me so I can take that and be part of the world. Okay, so we just, you know what? We just go to Christian schools. We just go to Christian concerts. That's all we do. We just, we only have Christian friends. We only listen to Christian music. That's all we do, Okay. In fact, this is kind of embarrassing, but this is a little bit of the world I grew up in. You may not know this about me because I know what you're thinking. Oh, Mike, he's a really cool guy. Um, it was not always that way. You're not going to believe this. It was not always that way. I grew up, my parents were, were fairly conservative and we actually, okay, so back in the days of cable TV, there was this thing called scrambling a channel. You guys are too young for this probably. But my parents called the cable company and said, we would like you to scramble MTV because music television is uh, too inappropriate for our kids. So I grew up in a household where Channel 63, I still remember this, MTV was scrambled. We could not watch it. Friends would come over and go, oh, let's watch music videos. Nope, can't. Sorry, this is embarrassing. We didn't listen to any music in the house. We just went to church. We listened to Christian music, even at home. They would be worship music playing at times. And so in the fifth grade... Okay, at the end of fifth grade, there was a yearbook. Okay, we had a yearbook where everyone had to write down. Uh, you got a picture in the yearbook and all the fifth grades at Happy Valley Elementary School. Okay, we're in this. Thank you. I knew, I knew I'd get some from George. You wrote some down about this. And you wrote down your favorite food and you wrote down your favorite TV show and you wrote down your favorite song. I did not know any songs. I had no idea what people were listening to. I was sheltered and protected from the world around me. I thought what is my favorite song? Well, the one they sing the loudest at church, I guess. My favorite song is called Shine, Jesus, Shine. This is not a joke. I will, I will not. If I ever get invited to the worship band, we will sing it. Okay, so here's the deal, though. I write it down. I don't think anything of it. They turn it all in. And, you know, a month later, end of the year, the yearbooks come out. Everyone's reading through them. We're kind of quiet in class. Everyone's reading through them. And the coolest girl in my fifth grade class, when his dead silent class goes, Mike, what is shine Jesus shine? 
I was so embarrassed. Thank you for your sympathy. I've gotten over it. I've gotten over it, but I still feel the emotions. I got made fun of a lot that day and that week and, and for a while. And I thought, man, I got to do something. All I know is this super secluded world of people that think like me. And when I'm at school, people, I don't know how to act. I don't know how to interact with the culture around me. My cultural engagement is not very good. I don't think Daniel's this way. In fact, some people, theologians would actually say that Daniel is a great precursor to Jesus. That he's a picture of the Jesus to come, not that he's a savior, not that he's, he's, uh, you know, fully God, but that what Daniel understands so well is cultural engagement to go with this kingdom relationship. He engages with the culture around him. That's why Jesus, that's what, not why Jesus came, but when Jesus came, what he was was an expert at cultural engagement. He continued to walk into the world, people that were not like him, people that did not think like him, people that did not act like him. The world around him that other people would have separated themselves from, the holy would have separated themselves, but he walked right into it and said, I understand what is going on in this world. I'm going to engage the culture. This is what I love about SPU. Motto, engage the culture, change the world. See, I knew it. I knew it because they always give me a hard time in the front. I love everyone else here too. Okay, enough talk about SPU. Um, that's what Daniel does too, right? Him and his buddies here, they, they engage what's happening in Babylon. They don't run from it. Some of us, when we're in these situations that feel like, uh-oh, this is a worldly situation. I'm gonna run from it. I need to go back to my holy huddle. This is a secular situation. I need to go back to my holy huddle. Some of you guys came here at night and thought, man, what are you guys doing going up to Whistler over college weekend? That is not a Christian weekend. Yeah, I know. I know I've been there as a college student. Ask me later. I'm not allowed to share it in front. Um, <laughs> I know, I know what goes on. I'm a block away from this campus. I know it's not a, what you may call a Christian world. I do not want to live in a world where we separate the vertical relationship with Jesus with the horizontal relationship of everything that's happening out in the world. I want to be like Daniel. I don't know about you, I want to be like Daniel. One, I don't want to just live in a Christian bubble. Number two, the paradigm here is that we would know both these things, okay? That we would have this, we would, we would have a Christian world and we would have a secular world. And this may actually be more prevalent for people in this room, that we would separate these two things and we'd be really good at walking into both of them. We'd be great at showing up here on Tuesday night. We'd be great at showing up at our core group. We'd be great at showing up at church. We know how to act in that world. We also know how to act in what we have defined as the secular world. We have taken God out of that world. We say, this is my secular world. This was my spiritual world. This is when I act secular. This is when I act spiritual. I can fit in great with this group. I can fit in great with this group. These two things never intersect because they're just running parallel. I got these two totally separate worlds. Daniel doesn't do that. He engages the culture around him, knowing that he has a chance to impact the culture around him. So Jesus did when he came. It's my hope for us. How can we be people that do that? I want to be people that do that. I want to impact the culture. I want to be renewed by the spirit of God in my life regularly. And I want to take it. And I want, to, I want that to play out in my relationship with friends, with brand new people. Every time I step on campus, I don't want to take my faith off as soon as I step onto campus. These things interact with each other. 
Daniel and his friends don't compartmentalize their faith. Their faith in God impacts everything that they do. They don't just trust God when they're back in the promised land and everything is good and right in the way it should be. They trust God in Babylon when it's not how it should be. And their way of trusting him is to say, we will not eat what other people are eating. It has nothing to do with these vegetables like they needed to eat just vegetables. Uh, there were food laws and, you know, about the way things were cooked, you know, for, for the people. But this was really about, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to eat just a little bit of here. We're going to drink wine. We're not going to do any of the things that these other people do. We will be a part of this world. We're not going to go back to back. We're not going to go back to the promised land. Okay. We can't go back. Some of us here, we want to go back. We're here January 2nd. We already want to go back, man. I just want to go back. I want to go back to high school. I want to go back to the way things were last year. I want to go back to uh, the way I, I, I felt with God a year ago. I went on the DR trip last year. I just want to go back. I just want that same feeling. I don't want to go forward. I just want to go back. We're not going back. Okay, Daniel and his friends go, this is where we are. This is where we find ourselves. What does it mean that God is working in us and that he's working through us, interacting with this culture around us? We're going to be of the people, but we're going to be different. People are going to know there's something different about us. We're not going to be crazy out there. Hey, everybody, we're not eating the meat. But they pull the guard aside, say, hey, we're going to eat, we're going to eat vegetables. We're going to eat water. People are going to look at us. They're going to see that something's different. They're going to ask why. We say it's not because we ate all this lavish, lavish food, but because our power comes from Jesus. Our power comes from God. We trust in him. Then what does it say? Put that last text up there again. We trust in God. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. In fact, he goes on in Daniel 1 to say that Nebuchadnezzar found nobody in his kingdom like these four guys. Not because of the nourishment of their bodies, but because their nourishment of their souls came from God. And people started to notice that something was different about them in the world that they lived in. We're going to pause there for tonight. Okay, we're going to pick up in Daniel 2 next week. Here's this question. What does it mean for us to live in this world? We're not here in the promised land. This is a little bit of a battle. Okay, we can find community here. We can experience God. How can we be people constantly renewed in this season? Renewed by God in this vertical relationship so that we can engage the culture around us and make an impact in every area of our life. Let's not be people that compartmentalize our faith. But watch as God does something in us and then through us out into the world. Come back next week. We're going to pick this up in Daniel 2, and we're going to watch these guys' faith play out in new ways. I'm excited you're here. I think it's going to be a great winter quarter. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing a few more songs. Hmm. Lord Jesus, would you grow our faith? Would you grow our trust in you? God, if we're here tonight and we have no faith in you because we don't even know you. God, I pray this would not be pressure on us 
to trust in, in somebody we don't know, that we may be here tonight, just, just want to explore what it means to get to know you. God, for those of us that have known you for a little while or a long while, Lord, would, would you help us to put the little bit of trust that we have down on you, a little bit of faith down on you and step out uh, this quarter, God, that we may see you show up and grow our faith a little more. God, teach us how to be people that are renewed and filled up by you and sent out in this world to impact the culture around us. God, thank you for tonight. Would you bless this time we have here? We pray these things in your name. Amen.